podcast, Race Capital, with me, Kalia Harris, where we interrogate racial narratives in our place, space, and time of Richmond, Virginia, the former capital of the Confederacy. Hey, y'all. Kalia here. Welcome to today's episode of Race Capital, where we are exploring mutual aid and what it looks like in Richmond and beyond. When I first got into mutual aid, it really took some digging in to understand what exactly the concept meant, but it boils down to a simple principle put into action. We take care of us. Mutual aid is meeting each other's needs with the understanding that the systems and powers that be are not set up to meet our needs. Mutual aid is a black tradition, taking care of one another, making sure they're good. And in fact, some of the first mutual aid societies were formed out of black necessity. In 1787, the Free African Society was created to aid newly freed black folks in building community power and leadership. In the late 1960s, the Black Panther Party had free breakfast and healthcare clinic programs, eventually expanding to a larger Serve the People campaign that provided more resources to community members. In the midst of this global health pandemic, we know all too well that people are losing their jobs or being forced to work on the front lines, worrying about how to put food on the table, risking their lives day to day, exacerbating the harsh realities that folks were already facing before this crisis. In Richmond, we have seen that all of the COVID-19 related deaths have been black people. Federal, state, and local government responses to the crisis, including access to testing, accurate information about the impact of the virus on our communities, access to proper protective equipment, and survival resources such as food and housing assistance have been painstakingly slow. Instead, we have seen community members come together to help one another. Today, we will explore this concept of mutual aid with our guests, Yaya Ogaldez of Richmond Mutual Aid Disaster Relief, Kelly Henriquez of RVA Mask Makers for Retail Workers, Yannette Amato, student organizer and soon-to-be VCU graduate, and Heidi Torres of Movimiento Cosecha. To start off, we will talk to Yaya Ogaldez from Richmond Mutual Aid Disaster Relief, who will tell us all about the local efforts to take care of one another happening right here in the city. So, Yaya, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know with the mutual aid efforts going on in the city right now, things are extremely busy. So thank you for taking a few minutes with me today. Of course. Thank you for having me. With the COVID crisis, we're seeing more and more people out of work and an increased need in our community. Can you tell us what is mutual aid disaster relief and what's going on in the city? Yeah, so Mutual Aid Disaster Relief is actually a national network of folks um, throughout the country who generally respond to different crises that happen, whether they be environmental crises. So when the hurricanes were hitting North Carolina and Texas a few years ago, um, Mutual Aid Disaster Relief was there giving out supplies. And they also like help within local communities, just like responding to different 
tragedies and emergencies that happen. And so Richmond Mutual Aid Disaster Relief is the Richmond version of that. And it started originally a couple of years ago. Richmond had a really bad cold snap in the winter. And we saw that the responses from city officials and government officials was just not adequate in like taking care of folks. So what we saw was a lot of like houseless folks not able to like get into homeless shelters and a lot of people were like in very like precarious situations. And so the effort that came out of that was a group of folks coming together to get supplies, clothes and food to these folks in a moment when like they really needed it. Throughout the years, like it has come up in different ways as like different things have happened within the community. And so what we're seeing right now with COVID is that, you know, the situation in the city is that a lot of folks are like out of work and a lot of folks are like, you know, at home due to like various reasons, unable to leave because they're, you know, compromised or because, you know, they're elderly, you know, a lot of different cases. And so the Mutual Aid Disaster Relief Richmond grouping of folks is now working to support people in community that need support with groceries and food and medical supplies and you know also just like general entertainment you know obviously the schools are closed and that is leaving you know kids with needs you know in terms of like being at home all the time and so we also get toys and books um, and other like educational materials so it's a grouping of like you know a lot of different folks with a lot of different skills just coming together and trying to take care of each other as best we can. Wow. And so how does this look? You're getting these supplies and then how do y'all get them to the community? Like who's giving them to you and how are y'all distributing them? Right. So we have an entire operation um, and I'm really like proud. Yeah, I'm really proud to uh, be able to like be a part of it. It started out with just like folks, again, like recognizing a need and trying to fill it. So we put up some posts on social media and made some asks for donations We had some relationships in community with local business owners, small business owners who agreed to be drop-off spots for donations. And so what we saw and what we're still seeing is that like folks will go to these drop-off spots and drop off like canned goods and, you know, clothing and like items for babies and books and games for kids, all sorts of things operating by taking these donations, putting them into, we have a space that we're operating out of right now in Richmond, being graciously given to us by another local business, um, the Lamplighter in some, on Summit Avenue. Nice. And we take them there, we sanitize them, and then we have folks who will take orders or requests from our hotline number have a hotline you're sanitizing items yes um so it's an entire it's you know it's an and it's an entire operation and like we try to you know keep ourselves safe and like keep people as safe as possible folks will call into our hotline you know requesting certain items we try to be you know like as generous as possible when we're giving items and so we will then get a request in someone in our group is an app developer and so developed an app for us specifically to use in mutual aid, which I think is really cool. Um, it's been helping us a lot internally be able to streamline requests, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so we will then print out um, packing slips and then folks are at the space, honestly, eight hours a day, five days a week, packing the requests that we get. So, you know, we might get someone who asks for canned goods 
and fruits and vegetables and, you know, books and entertainment for kids. Um, we have folks who pack those orders. Um, we have folks then who drive those orders um, to people's houses. And so like we deliver these items to each individual who like calls into our hotline um, and each family that calls into our hotline. Um, and so after that is all done, we also have folks who are going and shopping um, and sourcing different you know, things that we need and we have folks that are keeping track of like inventory. So like what we have um, currently that we have to offer to people. And this is all due to the amazing amount of support that we've gotten from folks in community through monetary donations and through like material donations where we've been able to help I'd say hundreds of families for sure. Yeah, we average about a hundred orders every week through this system. And so, yeah, that's a, like hundreds of families have been helped thus far and, you know, we're just getting started. I think that we recognize that COVID as a crisis is something that like is going to be affecting folks for a really, really long time. And I think we're in the thick of it right now and we're just getting started. Seems very much like for us, by us. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing. So how, if folks um, need to link in and need support through this effort, Mm -hmm. how can they link in? Right. So um, we've been taking volunteers through our Instagram. So you can DM us on Instagram at MAD underscore RVA. We also have an email, mutual aid disaster relief richmond at protonmail.com. So what you would do there, if you did want to like plug in, um, we always have a need for folks to be driving and delivering groceries to folks. And we have a need for, you know, folks to be like packing these deliveries. And we also have a need for folks to be like plugging into our hotline efforts. There's different roles. I think the beautiful part about mutual aid, um, no matter what community it's in, is that like there's a role for everyone. You know, and so it's like if you are like a person who, you know, is unable to leave your house because you are taking care of someone else or whatever the case may be, then like you can do a hotline shift. And that's a way for you to like plug in and like still be, you know, supporting other community members. If you have extra time on your hands, you could be driving and like delivering to folks who you know, are like asking for our services. So there's a role for everyone, for folks who would want to plug in, like figure out like what it is that like you'd want to do, like keeping in mind your capacity, obviously, and like, you know, what ways you feel like you would want to plug in. And I'm sure that we can like support you and like finding a place that feels good. Yes. And for people that may need supplies, um, are looking for different ways to get resources, what's the best way to plug in that way? Yeah, so we have a hotline that is open five days a week. So we do Tuesday to Saturday. And the number for that is 804-404-2346. And we're open from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. all of those mornings. And so if you have a need or any needs, um, please share that number, call that number. And if, you know, you can't get to us for some reason, like do call again. We are trying to address this as best as we can. Um, and we d- will definitely like get back to you. But yeah, I encourage anyone who like needs support or supplies to, to go ahead and call our hotline. And yeah, we'll will definitely be happy to support. That's wonderful. And where can people follow you, Yaya? 
Oh my goodness, where can people follow me? Um, I am on Instagram at Ooh. bald underscore fool. Y'all can't <laughs> yeah. see, but Yaya has the flyest hair colors giving us <laughs> spring fashion right now. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I feel really in my element um, with this hair color. I love it. But yeah, like folks can follow me on my Instagram um, if they'd like. Awesome. And then lastly, we have our what's your privilege section. Mm -hmm. What is your privilege and how do you use it to disrupt white supremacy? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't really actually, yeah, that's a really, really good question. I think that I'm really lucky to um, still be working right now. My jobs have not been affected as much as other folks um, in community. And so what I do um, with that extra, you know, with that like little extra money that I have is I actively redistribute, whether it be, you know, monetarily or like with my time that I have, because, you know, it, it frees up a lot of like mental space for me, you know, that I'm able to then like use to like plug in uh, when I'm working in community. Right. Um, and I think that that's like a huge privilege. Um, and I also like, you know, leverage my networks in a lot of ways, right? You know, so it's like I do have like access to like folks who are in a similar position, right? Where they their jobs have also not been affected. And so I'm like, hey, like, you know, I'm donating, you know, a hundred dollars to Richmond Mutual Aid. Can you match me? Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think that like that in that redistributing it is like definitely combating white supremacy you know or this like idea people should only worry about themselves and not worry about anyone else right um because that's like you know I think that like leaning into community and like being supportive of like other people is like what we need in this moment and I think that the beautiful part about what you know I'm engaging in with like mutual aid is that like I think people tend towards that and that's what I'm seeing you know I think that like capitalism and white supremacy will like have you believing that folks are like unwilling to like think about you know anyone outside of their immediate family but like what I'm noticing is that like a lot a lot a lot of people are the exact opposite you know and like do care about like what's happening with within their community and within other folks who are in different situations um who they might not even know you know and like yeah. that trust and that you know like feeling of like being connected interconnected uh, with other people is really really special and that's really what mutual aid is all about absolutely that's one of the main foundations of it so i like i love it you know i think it's like I'm like constantly inspired by like what folks are doing yeah um, and it like gives me a lot of hope in like a time where you know it's like gotta hold on to something you know <laughs> yeah and our collective liberation is something I'm happy to hold on to yes yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on to our show um know that you're always welcome here this was fun thank you Next up, we will talk to Kelly Henriquez about RVA mask makers for retail workers. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank Thanks. you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I'm a Spanish medical interpreter, but... Recently, I've undertaken a little bit of a project 
I'm the administrator of the Facebook group Masks for Essential Retail RVA. Uh, so we try to provide uh, free cloth homemade face masks to essential retail and service workers in Richmond, Virginia. That's amazing. How did you come to be the administrator of this page and this effort? Um, so I, as a medical interpreter, I started making masks just for myself and for other healthcare workers, just because we were concerned about our exposure and the lack of PPE. Um, I have a little bit of background in uh, sewing kind of as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing all of these mask making efforts geared towards healthcare workers, which is fantastic. Healthcare workers, of course, need to be protected. But at the same time, um, it was made painfully obvious to me that uh, a lot of essential workers, like retail workers, grocery store workers, uh, delivery drivers, um, home repair people, uh, just don't have the protection that they need. Right. And uh, I don't want to put anyone's personal information out there, but I do know someone who is a grocery store worker and they made the difficult decision during the entire pandemic to um, not see their child until further notice, mm. just to protect their child, uh, given their exposure to the public being a grocery store worker. Um, and I've heard a lot of stories from this person about their exposure and just their concern um, even though they've been provided with masks, I was able to provide them with some cloth masks. They're just so concerned about their exposure that they don't want to expose their child. Sorry, I'm taking that in. Is that, uh, you know, because we go, all of us go to the grocery store mm-hmm. um, to shop and to think of the sacrifices that folks are making in their personal lives due to not having access to um, the proper protective equipment. Yeah, and there's there's definitely a shortage Um And the big issue is, you know, you have someone who's working in a grocery store. Yes, we all go to the grocery store, but someone who works at a grocery store is being exposed to every, almost every single person who comes into that grocery store during that entire day. You know, if they're working at Lowe's, I mean, I'm not sure if you've been to a home improvement store recently, but they're packed. Yeah. Um, And no one's respecting personal space. uh, So that protective gear is really important. Of course, we can't provide them with proper protective gear, but at the very least, we can provide them with something that's going to give them better protection than nothing at all. So, so now it went from, um, it seems like a conversation or a few conversations to what has turned into a larger effort. Uh, how did that happen? Um, I just decided to create the group and, you know, bit by bit, people have been trickling in and we've been getting some, we've gotten some requests for uh, 150, 130, 175 masks. I've been uh, posting on RVA Makers Forum. I've been posting on Reddit, trying to recruit people, trying to get supplies. Um, I've been very fortunate. I've had some people donate some fabric. We're at 128 members right now. Wow. Um, and we've collectively, if I had to put a number on it, donated about 500 masks to local retail workers and service workers. So veterinarians, um, grocery store workers, delivery drivers. Um, We've had some governmental organizations like local government. Um, You really begin to get an idea of just how many jobs are essential. And a lot of these jobs are the jobs that people are saying, you know, people who flip burgers shouldn't be making $15 an hour. And yet these are the people who are out there working every day, exposing themselves to possibly people with the virus. 
and they're providing us with these necessary services and products that we need to be able to survive. Right. And uh, yeah, it, it really does. I feel like this essential, non-essential binary uh, that kind of comes up, um, it doesn't really uh, account for the fact that even folks that are considered essential aren't getting what they need. No. Um, and so I just so appreciate the work that you all are doing to, you know, do your best to fill in the gap as you can. Thank you. And it's a real shame that you have, especially these large chains of stores and you know they have the re- they have the resources to pay their employees a living wage and they choose not to they have the mm-hmm. resources to provide their employees with protective equipment but they're not and yes i understand there's a shortage of masks and other protective equipment but a lot of them are just putting in the bare minimum and saying well we've ordered a box of masks and each employee is allowed to have one paper mask to use indefinitely and then that's their box checked and they're not even branching out looking at different distributors. They're not showing any sort of appreciation towards their employees, just basic human respect. I mean, every human deserves to be protected and they're not protecting their employees. They just see them as numbers and not as people. Right. These folks that are part of our community that come to work every day, uh, the, the least we can do is make sure they're protected. Yes. Um, and I so appreciate you highlighting that, um, you know, there's healthcare workers that need PPE, but also these frontline folks that we see every day that we go out during this pandemic as well. Absolutely. And ultimately, by providing these people, by providing the general population, especially people who are highly exposed to possibly people who are infected with the virus, you're ultimately protecting healthcare workers because you're preventing more people from ending up in the hospital. And if we're able to kind of slow down, flatten that curve, then it will ultimately benefit healthcare workers as well. Yes, because if we help one in our community, we're helping to keep everyone safe. That's the whole public health thing. Yes. So how can folks, uh, if they're hearing this and they're like, yo, I really, um, you know, I can sew or I have money to give to this effort or I just, you know, I want to help. How can they they plug in with you? Um, So you can find our group on Facebook. So it's Masks for uh, Essential Retail RVA. The group name just has Essential Retail in it. I couldn't make the group name too long, but it's, of course, Essential Service Workers as well. Uh, And we're looking for, at this time, we're good on supply donations, but I don't, that is constantly in flux. Um, so we can always use supply donations, uh, even if we don't specifically need them at this moment. You can also, if you can sew, we would, <laughs> we're looking for people who can sew right now. Um, so it does not matter if you feel like you're, you can't sew well enough. I would be more than happy to walk you through it. Um, we have people who have sewing machines in their homes that they say, hey, listen, I'm not using my sewing machine. I don't even know how to use it darn thing. Mm-hmm. So I would love to loan my machine to someone. So anyone who can contribute in any way, we welcome it. Wonderful. And you said that's RVA Mask Makers for Essential Retail? It's uh, Masks for Essential Retail RVA. Ah, okay. So y'all check them out on Facebook. If you are someone who's into sewing or you have these materials, um, please hit up Kelly. Um, All hands on deck, really. Yes. And if you do know of uh, of local workers who are in need of masks, please send them to our group. 
Uh, I realized that a lot of workers, and I've been getting a lot of anonymous requests from workers, so I'll have workers reach out to me directly saying, hey, I'm afraid to post in the group because I'm afraid my employer is going to find it. Yeah. Or I, I just feel like I might get in trouble with my employer. Reach out to me personally. Um, I'm listed the administrator of the group. And so you can reach out to me and I will facilitate your request and I will make sure to respect your privacy and make sure that it doesn't come back to you. Thank you for that. And then lastly, we have a section of our show called What's Your Privilege? Uh, and so I ask, what is your privilege and how are you using it to disrupt white supremacy? So for me, particularly, that's a lot to unpack. I'm a uh, white a cisgender woman. Um, I went to college. So uh, I'm the first person on my mom's side of the family to go to college. So woohoo. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, you went to VCU too, right? I went to George Mason. Oh, that's right. You went to GMU. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it's really interesting being a uh, exceptionally white person. Uh, I'm pretty white. And so I have a lot of people just look at me and they just assume a lot about me. And as a result of that, I get a lot of people who, um, I get a lot of the all lives matter people uh, looking at me and thinking that I must be agreeing with them. And so they open up to me. And that really offers me an opportunity to one, see what those people really think. And two, as someone kind of in their in circle to be like, hey, just to let you know, what you're saying isn't necessarily correct. And here, let me offer you some proof to back up what I'm saying. Um, and I've actually had a lot of interesting conversations in, in healthcare environments where I've had providers um, say kind of off the cuff racial things to me thinking I'll be okay with them and I call them out on it. Um, yeah, so Disrupting it in the healthcare space. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, again, that's another privilege is the fact that I'm a medical interpreter, I'm able to forge these relationships with people, and later, having that relationship with that person that isn't really accessible to a lot of other people, I'm able to kind of bring them over to, bring them over to my side and let them see, you know, hey, this is really what this looks like, and this is really why it is the way it is. Well, thank you so much for that and for that reflection. Kelly, thank you for being on our show. And let us know if there's anything we can do to keep sharing out the message of the mask makers on our platform. You're welcome here anytime. Thank you so much. You are listening to Race Capital on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. We will now hear from Yonette Amato, a student organizer at VCU and DACA recipient, who will talk to us about efforts to support undocumented community members in Richmond. Jeanette, it is a pleasure to have you on the show today. Tell our listeners a little bit about your work. Oh, well, thank you, um, Kalia, for you know inviting me to your space and giving me a platform. Um, well, of course, um, my background is that I'm a, I'm a DACA recipient. I've been uh, organizing or I became an activist since I graduated from high school. I've been doing a lot of student organizing uh, around institution. Um, in the last three years, I have been one of the student leaders um, that led the five uh, for in-state tuition. 
That bill just uh, passed, didn't it, this session? Yes, it did. Uh, and I am really thankful for everybody that put their their hearts, their minds, and work into this. Um, it was a collective movement, so I was really happy. That's amazing. So when I first got into this whole mutual aid conversation, one of the first things I noticed was that there was a gap in the literal assistance from the government. You know, people aren't getting stimulus checks. Uh, there's been a conversation about farm workers not being included in the minimum wage law. Uh, and then I also noticed that there was this gap in conversations happening on the ground. Then I would get on Twitter. I would see, you know, you going off on Twitter. Uh, so I ask you, what challenges have been exacerbated for undocumented folks by the COVID crisis, and what new challenges have arisen? And so one of <laughs> one of the things that I like, you know, express on Twitter was that when um, we saw the governments and administrations. Um, starting to shut down um, businesses uh, or like lockdown, put people on lockdown. Um, One of the things I saw was like, how are we going to assist these families that don't have the privilege of, you know, self-quarantine or, you know, stay at home and work uh, because, you know, that's, that's, um, it's real. Um, Yeah. You know, quarantine in itself is such a privilege, you know? (laughs) So, but one of the first things that I also saw was that uh, a mutual friend uh, that ha- that created a foundation called the Bentacorp Macias Family Scholarship Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, she was one of the first people that literally started a fundraise for for to help undocumented families. Like that was like literally the first time I saw somebody like think quick, act quick and started or like fundraising. Uh, and since then um, I like reach out to her and like reach out to a group of like uh, um, Twitter friends um, of what we call the undocu Twitter. <laughs> yes. Um, if y'all are not following undocu Twitter, you need to log in today um that's where I learned so much but what were y'all doing here so um well she was fundraising to help undocumented families like during this crisis and I I noticed that uh that here in Richmond of Virginia there wasn't really anything there wasn't there wasn't the conversation yet there wasn't uh anything yet like it took a while for many organizations to create their mutual funds or literally think of the um, think of uh, how we are going to assist undocumented families um and aside from just being like undocumented like one thing that uh, i also noticed was the lack of uh language accessibility from from all government levels from you know from um the state the local um so that was also one of the biggest issues that a lot of immigrant families are are um are facing so um later on um i was i was so that 
other organizations started to create their mutual funds aids, uh, which which was good, you know. Uh, what are what are these mutual funds? Yeah, so like uh, these mutual funds usually are created to support communities, communities that are usually underrepresented. But for me, uh, mutual aid is not just it's not charity work where when people are asked for certain information and you know are are asked like, how are you going to use this money no mutual is like you give help to community or and you know you trust them that they're going to do whatever they need to do with those funds for them to survive yeah so like uh, this lack of policing of like how you're going to spend your funds yes that oftentimes we see sometimes in the non nonprofit world mm-hmm and on the share yeah so and one of the things that i learned was that is what mutual aid is for me because you know we cannot just expect all of these families to give us answers on how they're going to use their money because one like that's not respecting who they are and their boundaries and one like we can't not like just judge somebody on on something that we don't know I think everybody goes to different things in life, and especially during this crisis. And people need to be free to use how uh, the money that's given to them without any, without any, like you said, policing. So that's wonderful. I'm hearing that there are funds that are starting to pop up for people, and that one of the issues is this issue of language accessibility so um, things coming from local levels in English but perhaps not in other languages that people um, need access to yes um so I was like I said I was happy that Knoxite you know the it's located in north of Virginia which assets really Asian immigrant communities created their fund or CASA CASA for all also created uh, mutual fund um, as well as the recent one was like New Virginia Majority right and then of course there's not there's other little funds for example the chip the chips change uh, for restaurant workers and they're assisting they're assisting undocumented uh, restaurant workers uh, in Richmond and then one other one other thing is the recent grand that the city uh lunch which was uh rva strong i think and undocumented families can um apply to get a 500 dollar grant but i recently noted that there hasn't been like a the application i'm not sure if it's in spanish but last time i saw it it was not in spanish and it's not being promoted in other different languages, just in English. So that's already, you know, a lack of lack of accessibility for non-speaking English communities. That's what I needed to know, um, is what are the issues that folks are facing? And it seems like language accessibility is one of them, making sure that our, our resources that are coming from the government, especially, are accessible to people in our community that needed the most. Mm -hmm. Jeanette, we'll definitely follow up with those mutual aid funds to make sure that folks can follow up when they hear the episode. So I wonder, how can we support your work? You know, it always leads into the passion of undocumented students because 
I myself as the DACA recipient and as well as an um undocumented, um, there was a lot of barriers for um for me to get to the point that I am here, which, you know, where I'm gonna be able to have a degree, but with that came a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. Uh, and so one of the things that I always ask, uh, tell people when they ask, how can we support you? And I'll, well, I'm like, well, you can support the, the scholarship that I co-founded with other, with my other four badass, uh, friends from Unlocked Rams. That's how you can support us. Where can we find that? Yeah. So our, our Facebook and Instagram, it's UndocuRams, uh, and it's spelled U-N-D-O-C-U, Rams, and uh, we have the scholarship pinned to the top, and that's where people can donate, um, and that's how uh, I always ask people to support me uh, and support the work, because that's the work that uh, is close to my heart, is, you know, I dream of one day Virginia having an undocumented youth center, uh, yes. I think that's much needed here. <laughs> I agree. Give me dreams and visions. I cannot wait to see it come true. Yeah. Then, <laughs> right? Where can people follow you? Oh, well, um, usually uh, on Twitter. I do not have an Instagram. I know, but, you know, social media is just like, uh, so I'm sticking to Instagram. I mean, to Twitter or, of course, Facebook either both but I'm more active on on Twitter if you're trying to trying to uh see uh things that I want to point out or conversations regarding to the undocumented community and what's your um what's your at uh it's Jeanette Lemon (laughs) awesome we'll make sure we shout you out on Twitter um on this episode And then I cannot let you get out of here without asking you uh, to participate in our what's your privilege section. What is your privilege and how do you use it to disrupt white supremacy? Oh, wow. I love this question. (laughs) Um, So my privilege, my privilege, one of the things that I remind people, you know, I am a DACA recipient. I do have a work permit and a driver's licenses. So that already itself is a privilege. Um, that it already itself is such a privilege because one, it enabled me to finish college, you know, and then enabled me to be on the front lines where I can say, "Hey, I'm undocumented." Uh, I mean, I'm a DACA recipient, and knowing that I have some type of protect protection, and not putting undocumented people that do not want to be there, you know, because I do want to remind that we got to empower the undocumented community. But the fact that I have DACA enables me to do more things, you know, enables me to be out there and be like, okay, well, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. Uh, But it also enables me to empower the undocumented community Um, because that's one of the things that I do or um, that I have learned over the years because when I was young, I was giving that empowerment and that empowerment led me to give that empower back to the community that are already, like I said, natural organizers. And that's how I feel that we can, we defeat uh, this, this, you know, this white supremacy that's already in the nonprofit sector that, you know, you only sometimes uses 
immigrants issues as like uh to gain recognition or mm-hmm. gain um you know foundation money like it's crazy but you know it's yeah. just like um i remind the undocumented community like this is you this is who you are y'all are expressing your stories and you know that's the privilege that i have because that's the privilege that um i was able to get because you know my education because of my uh the circle of friends that i surround the people that i learn from you know the so like that's the privilege you know and me able to like come and bring it back and you know give them the tools to even empower more themselves that's that's something that's that's the privilege for me come through with the redistribution of power (laughs) thank you so much for being on the show um and sharing sharing your work with us know that you're always welcome to come back oh my gosh thank you so much Finally, we will take a look at what support for undocumented communities looks like during this crisis on a national scale with Heidi Torres from Movimiento Cosette. So Heidi, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's great to have you here. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your work and about Movimiento Cosecha? Um, Hi, everybody. My name is Heidi Torres. I am a volunteer organizer with Movimiento Cosecha, or Harvest Movement in English. Uh, We are a movement and decentralized movement fighting for dignity, respect, and permanent protection for uh, the 11 million plus undocumented immigrants in this country. Um, I've been in Cosecha for the past few years, uh, and I'm currently working in New Jersey. Um, I joined last year at the beginning of the year after working on a campaign to stop the deportation of a good friend of mine. Um, and then decided to join uh, the Fight for Driver Licenses. Uh, and we had a victory last year in December and uh, we won driver licenses after fighting for over uh, 15 years. Yeah. And the past two years we were working with Movimiento Cosecha, like looking for a different strategy that was not uh, looking at politicians and like kind of like uh, putting like the sad faces of our communities to, for us to be able to polarize the public, but it was more about the empowerment of undocumented community to lead action. So they participated in our actions. We did um, sit-ins, plantones, which is like uh, the translation of the sit-ins. Um, we also did like hunger strikes, um, walks. We walk all across New Jersey. We did a lot of pretty cool actions. Uh, you can check it out in our Facebook page, Cosecha New Jersey. And, you know, like at the, we were able to like put enough pressure on the legislator to approve licenses last year. So it's like a huge win for our community. And we were like, you know, really happy about it because uh, it was like a lot of work, you know, that we did around that campaign. Um, and we were... In, uh, from December after December, you know, we had a, a community, a, a people's uh, gathering where we celebrated this victory with the community. We were so really happy. And then back in January and February, we started like, working on uh, getting driver licenses uh, lessons and also to study for the manual so our community could apply for licenses next year. But all of that was erupted, uh, you know, because of COVID-19. So um, like the first weeks that we uh, were working together, um, you know, uh, like kind of like moving the campaign forward on now, okay, now we've got licenses, but this is not over. Like we're fighting for papers, right? Uh, we're fighting for dignity and respect for our community. So uh, we wanted to continue that message, you know, uh, in here. And um, and then, you know, we were getting phone calls from our community members 
uh, that they were losing their jobs, that were they're out of work, that uh, like there was like a lot of need for food, about housing, mm-hmm. um, and also a lot of our community members. You know, since we are a community that likes to be together, we have like you know convivios. We have like uh, a lot of activities that we do. You know, that rec- like are also like you know like always like doing uh, you know me- meetings in person, right? And then yeah, having that has really impacted our. Our, our, our cosecheros in New Jersey and all like you know throughout uh, the country where we have uh, cosecha campaigns yeah so it has been uh, a lot of work. Well it's really cool to hear about the driver's license victory congrats to everyone that worked on that because here in Virginia that's been a fight that has been happening um, in our legislation as well in this past session so it's cool to see what it looks like to be implemented and what those next steps are. So folks can check you out on Facebook, the Cosecha New Jersey page. Do y'all have any other socials or anything that people should check out? Yes. So I said, I forgot to mention this. Um, um, yeah, we know Cosecha has, like, has a national campaign that's called Manejando Sin Miedo, or Driving Without Fear. Because mm-hmm. we know like driving without a license is like the second main uh, way that people get detained and put into a concentration camp into the hands of eyes. Um, so that's why we have this like, national campaign. We have it in Georgia, Indiana, Massachusetts, Michigan, uh, New Jersey, and you know all of us are decentralized. So like most of the organizers are volunteers. So we not we don't get a salary, uh, but we work with the community and our meet our network within the community. Yeah. That's one of our principles. So that say the principle number nine that says that everything that you need is in your community. And we come with the approach that we shouldn't be looking at like just politicians, you know, it's about our community, you know, like getting back our power collectively. Um, so, yeah, so you can check out some of the work that we've done on like our main page, Movimiento Cosecha. And then we have like every campaign or every Cosecha and state has their own like, Facebook page, like Cosecha Michigan, Cosecha Massachusetts. And you can see all the cool campaigns happening. Of course, like, you know, right now we have stopped those campaigns to work on mutual aid and also a bigger demands for the immigrant community. Um, but the beautiful thing that I really love about Cosecha is that we give the space to be undocumented, you know, not only about having an agenda that's going to please um, people and, oh, immigrants are good, and we're, like, appealing, like, the good and versus bad immigrants and, to, and continue to criminalize our existence, that we don't want to do that, right? Yeah. I think that our power is um, economic non-cooperation, right? Because um, there's so many undocumented immigrants in this country that work and pay taxes. You know, this is states in the South are trying to reopen and mm-hmm. just like, send us to die. So I keep telling people, like, like you know, there has to be, like, the left needs to get it together, you know, and, like, putting, like, well, like, we have to, like, take care of each other and, like, push the politicians, you know, to uh, meet our, like, met, meet our needs because it is very deadly. Um, we already had people that were involved with Cosecha, you know, or, like, with the licenses campaign, and they have passed away, you know, the coronavirus. So... I think that the other thing that I want to work on is finding ways for grief, you know, because um, I think when you're, an undoc- like when you're an immigrant, not only do you suffer from the family that you lose here, but also the family in your home countries, right? Because if here is really bad, imagine over there where they don't have the infrastructure, you know, to be like, especially in like urban areas of like Honduras or Mexico, right? They don't have the 
right? Like governments, are, there's so much corruption that they will also like let people die. So I think that when we like see this, it's just like, what is going on globally? You can ask for more, right? And I think when right. we work with the American community, it's like, well, I wasn't born in this country. Why should I fight for this? And why should I deserve any of this, right? So we continue to like dehumanize our own, our own existence. And that's very painful, right? So um, I think like we give a lens to like use our culture, to use our skills, to use our creativity, to think outside the box on the strategies that are going to, and on creating the, our own narrative and not letting other people tell the stories, right? Just to get money or to get us like, you know, to like have pity on the immigrant community. That's not what we want. Like you're here to fight for liberation. And I think even in our communities, you know, uh, we continue to um, also like let a fight that is anti-capitalistic and I think that's, that's how, you do, how you do it, anti-capitalista. We also are uh, working on a fight that's anti-racist and anti-patriarchal, right? And that's something that uh, we have the space to do here in, in, in Cosecha, right? So, of course, a lot of work is not perfect, right? Um, but something that I have shown uh, for the past few weeks is the resilience that we have and also the way that we can like, show up for each other in this moment. Yes. Yeah. And I I just wanted to echo this um, this point that you made about the pitting of folks against each other and how especially in this crisis that's no this is no time for that you know we need to be together that's that's what's number one here in richmond we are seeing a bunch of communities coming together during this crisis and being dependent on one another rather than governing forces so you spoke a little bit about this but is this something that you're continuing to see to be true in your community and across the nation Yes, we also have a, um, we, you know, we, um, we use it um, a lot for the past few weeks. It's this of la comunidad, el, el Estado no nos cuida, nos cuida la comunidad. The state doesn't take care of us, the community does. Um, and it's so true because honestly, like, I, I get calls from like 7 a.m. to like midnight, you know, of like people who are in need of food, um, also people who are thinking of, are going back to their home countries because they're desperate, a lot of frustration, people who are worried about rent, people who are like being forced to go back to work and a warehouse workers who are undocumented that are working with no protections, right? Mm -hmm. So we have seen so much, you know, and that's why we're like thinking, okay, how can we organize our community to create um, mutual aid if we cannot see each other, right? And it's very hard to mobilize at this moment. So we started doing uh, like phone calls, like, like, you know, having like a phone number by city so people can call in one of the cosecha coordinators and ask about food, um, as if resources on like, you know, uh, people that have a lot of questions about rent, you know, so kind of like provide some support and like how they can talk to the landlords, how can like they write a letter to the landlord, organize with the other neighbors to do like a rent strike or, or do a, um, a rent cancellation campaign, right? right. So, and, and the other thing with the mutual aid, it's, um, you know, it's like kind of like mapping resources, right? So we have like a, uh, like for example, we have a, um, like people that, you know, may have extra rice or beans or canned foods, right? So like, like finding like a place where everybody in that building can like collect, like, you know, can collect like what they have of food items and then drop it out someone's like apartment and then kind of like distribute, you know, people need baby formula, people need diapers, people need food, things like that, right? Because like the cities are doing nothing, you know, like when you talk to them over the phone, they're like, 
it's so frustrating, you know, and like they don't care. Like they keep saying like stay home and I'm like, people can't stay home. And if they stay home, they're gonna go hungry. So they don't, it's like the whole thing of like, you know, when I read these things from like politicians here in New Jersey or like elected officials or people with privilege and saying like, you need to stay home so we can fight in the court. For me, it's an insult to the to all of us, the working class, including like undocumented immigrants and, and, and poor uh, uh, pe- uh, community of color, right? Like our, and I'm just like, I am annoyed, honestly, right. I'm angry because like that is just like a, that's a class privilege right now showing up, you know, and then we can we romanticize like, um, a social distance, social distancing and staying at home when that's a reality for so many of us, right? Like, I feel like, like you should be doing, like they, they, and they won't do it, you know what I mean? They, they don't have, they don't have the capacity and, and even if they can't open more food banks and open more pantries and provide resources, they don't do it because they just don't care, you know? Right. And, they will, and they will let us die. And here in New Jersey, we have over um, more than 80,000 cases so far. And pe- like, and 5,000 people have died in the last two months, right? Two months. So I feel in most of those people, like, are immigrant workers or, like, people right. of color, right? Because we can't stop working. And, of course, they're working in, uh, in uh, workplaces where they're not following the protocols to ensure that we are protected with gloves and sanitizers, and there's the correct social distancing, that there's cleaning of the factory or the warehouse, nothing. Like, and, like, it's, and I think, like, right now, like, um, like all the pain that we have right now, and it's 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 showing, you know, like when I get on calls with people or the coordinators get called, it's very overwhelming because it's someone calling over the phone because they don't have food, they're like the landlords harassing them, they don't know what to do. And we come here like, like what is the solution to organize collectively? This is not the moment to just say like, I'm gonna go fish by myself, you know? Like, right. like oh, it can be very easy to say, well, that's your problem. I have nothing to do about it. Like you fix it, right? We are no, like this is a, a collective problem right now and we need to work towards a solution and we need to organize, right? Because I think that, you know, our voices have been enough for far too long, right? Like, um, like yes, like, you know, uh, yeah. So like something that, you know, it's just been, um, a lot of like this like like kind of like slowly like people that haven't like never been involved in movements or other organizations or groups now it's like wow like uh, the only ones showing up for is grassroots organizations right like cosecha yeah. there's like the mutual aid happening with other with uh dsa here in new jersey so i'm like all of these groups are showing up but not like any other government entity you know you said la comunidad nos cuida y nos cuida la comunidad we take care of the community and the community takes care of us. And so mm-hmm. we're seeing who that is that takes care of us. And it's actually us. That's huge. Thank you, Heidi. So last, we can't let you get out of our show without participating in our segment called What's Your Privilege? I ask, what is your privilege and how do you use it to disrupt white supremacy? Um, well, I'm an um, able person, right? I am someone who... Um, has some skills you know organizing um, and I always like challenge people you know and in a way that it's this is about growth too it's not like sh- just like shaming people on the way uh, we organize so we do things um, so I use my privilege as always like okay what if like I have to listen before I even like come into a conversation with someone that of course, has like different uh, abilities than I do, or like differences, right? Um, so I'm always like, always like learning, and always like listening, you know. First, I think that is something that 
um, it allows us to like build community and also be more honest and have our conversations that's going to lead us to uh, fight collectively, you know, for uh, for to destroy white supremacy, right? Because we're all affected by that. So as a person who's undocumented, I also understand that, um, you know, that uh, I am just like part of like the working class and I am part of like a bigger fight, right? And if uh, we don't include all of us, then we can never win, you know? And I think that starts from all of us disrupting uh, racism, patriarchy, um, and all the isms, you know, <laughs> because I think that there are people with bigger agendas that they're just like done, you know what I mean? Like I have seen like this day, like violence against all of us. And, and yeah, and like, you know, as I say, like, you know, if I, if my, if I feel this pain and anger, you know, I'm not other, I know others like feel it too. So I'm just like, how to like always like um, making sure that, uh, I'm listening, right? Wonderful. Heidi, thank you for being on our show. Folks, please check out Movimiento Cosecha on the socials and follow up with their work. Support them how you can. After speaking to all of our guests, I'm reflecting on what self-governance looks like in the aftermath of this pandemic. And it seems that this pandemic is a catalyzing moment for many of our movements. So I ask, what does it mean to move towards a mutual aid governance? One that puts the needs of the people over the profits that large corporations and nonprofits can reap in the face of a crisis. I am also called to remind us that all the issues that affect the undocumented community are Black issues. We oftentimes don't recognize this intersection, but it is crucial to achieving our collective liberation, and it will take all of us, being in community with one another and caring for one another. El Estado no nos cuida, nos cuida la comunidad. The state does not take care of us, the community takes care of us. Take care of yourselves and your neighbors during these trying times. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week for more content from Black femme activists doing the work on the ground here in the former capital of the Confederacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah.